Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm Andrew Brandt, and we're presented, as always, by BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. They're the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Use that promo code PODCAST1. You get that 50% sign-up bonus today, BetOnline.ag. We have a new sponsor coming up, too, Start a Pod. We'll get to them in a little bit. I have a few rants this week, uh, but I also have a guest talking about insurance and cancellation with these sports events all in flux. Not only the events, the leagues, the seasons, the arenas, so much is going on. I found the perfect guy, a lawyer, Richard Giller, who's going to talk all about what happens He's in sports event cancelization, but also he talks about uh, student athletes and pro athletes getting loss of value insurance, getting disability permanent in total to his situation at Alabama. All of that coming up, my guest uh, from a class I had this week online at Villanova, Richard was my guest there. It's so apropos to what's going on now. So the coronavirus, COVID-19 situation is affecting all of sports. We're at a unique time. The tipping point, as I said, was Rudy Gobert testing positive, the way they stopped that game on Wednesday night. I believe that was March 11th uh, when everything changed. The world as we know it in sports changed. Adam Silver, commissioner of the NBA, as always, kind of a leader, Stopped right then. He had to. There was no way sports could continue at that point. When we had a a virus case on the Jazz, turned into two on the Jazz, and these referees were coming from other games, going to other games, players playing other teams. We've had four uh, Brooklyn Nets test positive. We've had members of the Sixers organization test positive. We've had a player on the Detroit Pistons. Uh, So again, this is happening throughout sports, throughout uh, the society, COVID-19 has brought sports to its knees as it has the rest of society. So we're going to look at that. I, I just think that we're in a unique space and time. We don't know when it's ending. We don't know how. We don't know if. But so much is going to happen if indeed sports comes back in terms of when and how. And, you know, just one in, one one example, a little one that just shows how crazy things are. If, in fact, the NBA comes back. And if, in fact, the Milwaukee Bucks do well, as they're expected to do, and if, in fact, we're playing uh, games into late June, early July, maybe even August, and if, in fact, the Bucks are hosting a champion, uh, I'm sorry, a divisional round or, <laughs> or even a conference championship or the NBA Finals, which we expect them to do, we've got a little thing called the Democratic National Convention in, oh, by the way, Milwaukee. So think about all the disruption in just that one city that could happen with the greatest uh, things happening for Milwaukee at the same time and having to move things around and, you know, insurance issues like that. That's just one of the things we talk about with Richard Giller. So what I'll start talking about are more mundane issues. Um, We're now a week removed from Tom Brady. And I've talked about this before, Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay. Two things happened. One, I totally expected leaving New England. I just thought that was going to happen. He didn't rework his contract just for the grins of it. He wanted to get out and there'll be books written about him and Belichick and Kraft and what really went on there. And Jimmy Garoppolo being the future successor until he wasn't, he was moved out and whatever coup went on and 
the Belichick-Brady relationship and who's more responsible. I don't want to get into that. But it was clear to me, when you renegotiate a contract to void after the 2019 season, you want something to happen that does not include New England. And the Patriots saying, well, we couldn't talk to him, the CBA. Come on. I mean, they couldn't talk to him. Every team's talking to its pending free agents up until last week. And most teams actually sign their pending free agents. Not a lot of players get to free agency. So here we are. Brady left. As I've talked about many times before, very similar to Brett Favre leaving. In a lot of parallels, I know there wasn't an Aaron Rodgers type backing up Brady, but just the, the, the love from the franchise that did not come, that was almost expected for what the player had done for them, and, and it's just time. You know, you just feel like, okay, it's time. In Green Bay's case, it was time to move on to Aaron. We had a guy in a bullpen three years, felt great about him. And it, it was just the end of a run. And with Brady, I, I think came from both sides. It's time. And it's almost better, even though no one's going to admit this, it's almost better that both sides were kind of mutual in this. So in the Tom Brady divorce with the New England Patriots, totally expected. What I did not expect, and I don't know a lot of people did or didn't, but I did not expect Tampa. I really thought Brady would ride off into the L.A. sunset, LeBron-like, where superstars go to finish careers because of so much happening in L.A., beyond football. It's a place to sort of transition into the next phase of life. And it's L.A. You know, it's where people want to go, including superstars, because they're used to superstars out there. And probably LeBron is not a big deal like it would be anywhere else. And the same would be true for Tom Brady. But he eschews the Chargers, which made sense. They need a quarterback. And you've got a new stadium. So the, he eschews the Chargers. That's my word, eschew. That means avoid. I love it. <laughs> I'm a word nerd. And he goes to Tampa Bay. Now, Tampa Bay, I learned this week, was the least of a draw of any team in the NFL on the road. That obviously will change. Tampa Bay was one of the least watched teams for network television. That will change. Tampa Bay was one of the least valued teams in the NFL. That will change. All the things we think about with Brady that are obvious, ticket sales at home, ticket sales on the road. But think about all the ancillary brand. Obviously, he's the best-selling jersey right now because it's new. He will be the best-selling jersey for quite a while. He's going to give that team relevance. He's going to give that team appearances on national television. He's going to give that team brand that it didn't have. And if you look at whether, you know, just off the top of my head, if that team's worth $2 billion last week, maybe it's worth $2.1, $2.15, maybe he's worth $200 million to the brand. So think about those kind of things. Brady going to Tampa is just an amazing thing for Tampa. We talk about players like LeBron going to Cleveland. Well, he's from Cleveland, so not that big a shock. LeBron going to Miami? Sure, everyone goes to Miami stars. People going to L you know, LeBron going to L.A.? Of course, people go to L.A. Uh, you know, pick other places. Durant going to Brooklyn? Okay, it's New York. Durant going to San Francisco? Okay, it's San Francisco. <laughs> Reggie White going to Green Bay 20 years ago. I'm sorry, 30 years ago. I'm sorry, 40 years ago. 37 years ago. No, wait. I'm sorry, 27 years ago. That's a big deal. And this I would put in that category. Reggie White going to Green Bay 
Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay. You know, the old Chris Berman line, Bay of Pigs. Well, no more. Reggie White broke the seal on Green Bay. Tom Brady has broken the seal on Tampa Bay. Why did he go there? Who knows? Maybe he just felt the great receivers start fresh. I, you know, this idea of being closer to New York. Closer to New York? If you want to be closer to New York, you'd stay in Boston. You know, maybe his wife wants to be closer to Brazil. Okay, Tampa's closer to Brazil than L.A. or New York or or... Indy or anywhere else. I don't think Brady had much of a market, but I do think he had LA. So once you have LA, there you got a market. But he chose Tampa. Okay, that's a surprise. And good on Tampa. Just good on Tampa. That gives them relevance. We now have a new team in that mix of teams you want to see, along with the Packers, the Saints, the Cowboys. I'm just talking NFC, the Eagles. Uh, Giants, just because of that name brand. Uh, you know, so we're going to see that. And of course, Seattle, Rams, etc. Now we're going to see that with Tom Brady. So good on him. A second rant on football. Before we get to um, our guest again, I got cancellation insurance related to COVID-19. Another rant. I just, I haven't really ranted here about what's going on in Houston. Last year, as you remember, with general manager slash coach Bill O'Brien, after letting it simmer till the end of training camp with no resolution in sight, the Houston Texans traded Jadavian Clowney to the Seattle Seahawks for two sort of middle-of-the-road players, and the kicker of all, they paid half the salary. They paid half the salary to Clowney to get him out of there. And Seattle gets Jadavian Clowney for giving up two middle-of-the-road players and half his salary. Massive win for Seattle, and you scratch your head at what's going on with the Texans. Then they trade two number ones for the left tackle, Tunsil. They didn't sign him to a contract, give him extraordinary leverage, all the leverage in the world. That's Tunsil. Done. Still no contract. Here we go. Now they've traded DeAndre Hopkins to Arizona, one of the top-tier receivers in the league, a, certainly a top elite receiver. For David Johnson, a backup running back, now a backup running back with a huge contract and a second-round pick. Meanwhile, Stefan Diggs get, lands, nets a first-rounder for, for the Vikings, and Stefan Diggs wanted out and tweeted he wanted out. So what we're left with are massive decision-making by Bill O'Brien as general manager that's not working. Now, I can't fault Bill O'Brien, the coach. Sure, he's a good coach, gets a lot of the players. They make the playoffs every year. They don't go far in the playoffs, but they make the playoffs. You know, only eight teams do that. Now there'll be more, but eight teams. Uh, so good on him. But GM, what? What are these moves? And it just shows you how negotiator-type GMs that know how to work the phones, that know how to work negotiations, which is really the primary role of a GM, more, I think, than personnel. You can always get scouts. Are getting over on them. You know, Arizona got over on them. Seattle got over on them. Miami got over on them. And they're making these lopsided deals with Bill O'Brien where he's become cheap fodder for these GMs with experience to take advantage of. So what's going on? Well, the model doesn't work. 
coaches have to inspire, cajole, motivate, get guys to run through brick walls for you. GMs have to be forward-thinking, unemotional, detached, and ready to move on from players. And he's doing both. In my time at Green Bay, we had a few years where our superstar GM, Ron Wolf, retired. We were in a lurch. We had success early from our coach, Mike Sherman, and he took over the role of GM. Tough role. And Mike would say to me, if, you know, at least a few times a year about a situation with a player. He would come to me and say, Andrew, I need to make you the bad guy here. And I would say, I get it. I totally get it. I totally get it. So, yeah, you got to be the good guy. I'll control the purse strings. You have to ultimately, but I'll be the bad guy because you have to motivate this player. You have to cajole this player. You have to get this player to run through a brick wall for you. You have to have trust from this player. So that's a hard job. And Bill O'Brien is not handling it well. He's getting into issues with these players, which again, if you're a coach, that's one thing. If you're a coach and GM, that's harder. So I blame the management of the Texans' senior leadership for allowing this to happen. If you don't even have to have a GM in name, but you have to have a quote-unquote bad guy, like I was in Green Bay, like Joe Banner in Philadelphia when Andy Reid had those roles. And the only one that can seem to do it, Coach GM, is Belichick. And we all have our reasons we think he can do it, but he does seem incredibly unemotional, incredibly detached. And even like this Brady situation, he'll move on. So he does it, and he's good at personnel, and he's good at trades, and he's a good negotiator on trades. So he's got that ability, but not many people do. And it's a, it's a model. There's a reason why no one does this. It's a model that doesn't work. And Houston right now is being taken advantage of, not because Bill O'Brien's a bad coach, but because he has an alternate job that sets him up for failure. So that needs to change. Okay. Now I want you to hear from my partner in crime in the in these Podcast One Sportsnet podcasts, Ross Tucker, talking about a new sponsor, Start a Pod. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. I, I specifically thought this would be perfect for your audience just because I know a lot of your students listen to your show and a lot of people that are obviously really into the business of sports listen to your show. And I picture them being the type of people, especially right now if they're at home, that would think about starting a podcast. And if that's ever been you, I have the perfect resource for you to check out. It's called Startapod. Go to startapod.com slash Ross, and you'll get 50% off the first year of your monthly or annual subscription. So like monthly, it's $9.99 a month. You can get it for $4.99 for a month and go through, check out all the videos on how to start a podcast, hosting, the video courses, revenue, what kind of gear you should get. If you've ever had an itch to maybe start your own podcast on your team or whatever, now is the time to scratch it. Sign up today to get 50% off at startapod.com slash Ross. That's S-T-A-R-T-A-P-O-D.com slash Ross. Startapod.com slash Ross. 
Thanks, Ross. Really appreciate you introducing that new sponsor. I'm glad you can appear on my podcast, The Business of Sports. Always good to have Ross Tucker's voice on my pod. Speaking of another voice, I want to introduce you to our guest. His name is Richard Giller. He's a partner at PillsburyLaw.com. He specializes in insurance and recovery and no better person to talk about what's going on in the world of COVID-19 and sports. We know... As we sit here today, we have suspension of operations for the National Basketball Association, the National Hockey League, for uh, Major League Soccer, for National Lacrosse League, for tennis events. Everything is shut down. So where is it going to go if and when we come back? Is there going to be suspension? Is it going to be postponement? Major League Baseball has shut down spring training, canceled but has postponed, as we sit here, the season. Are there differences in using those words? So we're going to look at all that. Now, Richard represents collegiate and professional athletes. He represents sports teams, all in connection with loss of value insurance claims, securing work comp benefits. Sports insurance clients have called him the foremost expert in sports insurance. He has incredible experience in event cancellation, and there's no bigger issue right now in sports relating to COVID-19 than event-slash-game cancellation. So I had Richard come through Zoom, we're doing everything online, of course, to my class at Villanova, but I wanted him to explain everything that was going on. Fascinating interview. So without further ado... My guest for this week on the Business of Sports podcast from Pillsbury Law, insurance cancellation event, cancellation insurance expert, Richard Giller. Richard, welcome. Good to have you. Thanks for inviting me, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here. I've heard you talk before and uh, I've heard you say sort of when you come to parties, uh, everyone sort of moves away like social distancing before social distancing. <laughs> Once you tell them you're an insurance lawyer, uh, but I think you're more interesting than that, right? Well, I mean, I like to think so, but the, um, uh, you, you know, you don't go to law school with the idea you're going to get into a lot exciting and, and, you know, glamorous, but the, it's, a, it's like an intellectual jigsaw puzzle every time you have to deal with an insurance issue, insurance policy. So what I say is people move away from me when I say I'm an insurance lawyer, but everybody comes right back when I say I sue insurance companies for a living. <laughs> that makes you very popular, I'm sure. Everybody <laughs> has an insurance issue. Yeah, everyone's going to talk shop with you there like, hey. Exactly. Um, let's sort of say in the world previous to two months ago, uh, previous to COVID-19, previous to this current crisis that we have going on now, Tell us about your practice pre, without what we're dealing with now, if you would. Insurance recovery lawyer, I, I generally represent Fortune 500, Fortune 100 type companies when they have a big claim arising out of a product liability claim or, or some suit that's been filed against them. Then they hire me when the insurance company does what they almost always do, which is deny the claim. <laughs> and then I fight with the insurance company, you know, sort of a letter campaign to start with. And um, then after that lawsuit, if necessary, usually the plaintiff. So it's kind of an interesting area of the law because firm of our size, we're almost offending people. Um, but I'm almost, almost always on the plaintiff side of cases. 
And uh, I always describe myself as a profit center as opposed to just billing people. I, I, you know, I get money back for my clients. And about six years ago, I read about uh, a case involving a couple of USC football players where they were denied loss insurance coverage for their injuries, Marquise Lee and Morgan Breslin. And I'd been practicing about 29, 30 years at the time. And I had never heard of loss of value insurance for athletes. So article published went pretty viral, you know, in, in the little niche world of uh, insurance recovery. And uh, a broker that sells a lot of these policies to athletes contacted me. And I started with the first of what is now about three dozen cases of permanent total disability insurance and loss of value insurance coverage for professional athletes. You can take them out while you're still in college. Your last year of college, you can take out a policy to ensure the value of your first contract in case you get injured that last season and you get drafted lower than you thought you were and sign a contract for less than everybody thought you would. Uh, and then pro athletes take them out all the time, permanent disability all the time, and then also loss of value if you're about to become a free agent or salary arbitration eligible or any number of you know, next contract jumps for a pro athlete. Let me ask about that specifically with the draft, since we have that coming up in the NFL. So a player expects, and who is the expectation with? Is it with NFL scouts? Is it with some scouting service to be a pick a number, second round, first round draft choice, suffers some kind of injury during his senior season or his last season, becomes a fifth or sixth round draft choice? Is that a typical uh, example? And then what are you looking for then? Is it, obviously it's going to depend on the language, but if someone... You know, again, I've been in the NFL. There's a hundred factors that go into why a player is a second round pick versus six round pick, and it may not be all injuries. So are those tough? They're not as tough as they seem. Insurance companies make them out to be a lot more difficult than they should be. You know, Marquise Lee blew out his hip and had and missed four games in the senior season or junior season. You know, when the claim was submitted, the carrier took the position that as they thought they would be. His 40 speed wasn't as fast as everybody anticipated. But to answer your first part of your question, insurance brokers and uh, so it's a it's like a tangled web because of these policies are issued through Lloyd's of London. Right. And so no regular broker in the United States can just call up Lloyd's and say, you know, I want a policy. So you have a retail broker that usually an agent or a financial advisor or the school contacts and then that retail broker reaches out to a wholesale insurance broker who has a connection with Lloyd's. So it's, it's kind of a weird dichotomy of, of, of people getting involved. And not everybody has any contact with the, with the athlete and usually the school. Um, so they kind of establish what the, what the draft value is, you know. Tua Tongavailo is a great example. Unfortunately, Alabama only only purchases permanent total ability policies and won't pay for loss of value insurance. Why not? It's just their policy. I think it's because. Well, let's step back a bit. The NCAA at first said you can you could not borrow against future earnings to pay the premiums on those policies, and then they reversed themselves and kind of I think a light bulb went on and said this is a fantastic internal recruiting tool. Right, you can keep a kid an extra year by saying, "Don't worry, we'll pay for your insurance, and we've got it covered for you." Um, the 
the downside of that is there's a, there's a few downsides. Um, first of all, you know, in the NFL especially, we'll use Matt Barkley as a good example from USC. Had he gone out after his junior, he would have been first round top five or ten picks. But because he played an extra year, did a good offensive line, didn't have his NFL, not because of injury, but because his his performance wasn't as great. Right. I, I'm always I'm a proponent of athletes should go pro as soon as they can and get as much money as they can because their careers are so short to be, you should might as well get that bigger first contract as you can. Um, the other thing is, is insurance companies will only insure 60% of the anticipated value of that first contract or your next contract. So let's say you think, you know, a pitcher, you think he's going to get a hundred dollar deal. You can insure 60 million of that. So even if you get injured, you're never going to recoup a hundred percent. Even if they pay the entire policy limits and they always fight. So it's an, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Walker Bueller. He's a, one of the top pitchers in major league football for the Dodgers. He had the issue. He came out of Vanderbilt. I represented him on his claim. I had to have Tommy John's and the took the position that he, he didn't act have an injury and he drafted and they always try and figure out some way to <laughs> minimize their exposure. And so one of the things always do is you didn't answer your application questions properly, but these application questions are a joke. Have, you know, have you over the last 24 months, have you taken any over the counter anti-inflammatory or pain medication? And the answer to that question is how many times per day or in the last 24 months? So if you represent something on the application, they always latch onto that and try and argue that you made a misrepresentation and the policy's canceled or you didn't describe an injury well enough and your medical record shows a little more significant than you described in your application. That's a big issue for them. They tend not to do any investigation before the agency, but they take a fine tooth home to the medical records once a claim is filed. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, we could go on all day about student athlete issues there, especially with uh, with these loss of value policies. And you point out, which is what we all are thinking, and you can you have confirmed it that insurance companies love to take the premiums but always fight the claims, right? Yeah, they're they're definitely not in the business of paying claims, right. and they'll fight because if they save ten percent on a ten million dollar policy, that's a big deal for them, right? So let's there's, get another, there's another interesting issue, Andrew, sorry. To, oh, go ahead, go ahead. So a couple of years ago, the NCAA said that schools could use money received from the NCAA as part of their student assistance fund money. Every, every school gets it. They could use that money to buy the policy premium or pay the policy premiums for these athletes. So there's a couple of issues. Alabama only pays for permanent total disability because they can insure more players that way. They can have 16 players last year and they put insurance for you guys. It sounds great. It's a recruiting tool. If you're going to buy loss of value and permanent total disability insurance, you could have probably insured five or six of those guys because of the increased premium costs for the loss of value coverage. The other interesting thing that my firm took the lead on is what are the income tax implications when a school pays the policy premium student? or the or the athlete because if you or i pay for our own disability insurance policy the benefits are tax-free which is a huge advantage to life insurance but if our employer buys the policy for us with 
before tax dollars. Yeah. The benefits are taxable. And so for an athlete, they're 10, 50, 60%, right? Oh. So it's a huge deal to know what are the tax implications if a school pays your policy. School's not your employer, you're not an employee. Uh, our firm has taken the position that if you declare amount of the policy premium on the tax return file after you grad or after you leave school, so it'll be much less than the payout. That'll be the only taxes you'll it's a complicated area and it's kind no, of it is. And, and just one quick follow-up because he's in the news and it's so topical. Tua's uh, permanent total disability at Alabama. Obviously, it didn't pay off because he's going into the draft and working out and posting videos, even though he had the big hip injury. How much would something like that cost? Like ballpark. How much would a Tua's uh, PTD policy cost? So it, it varies by, by sport, obviously. But a $5 million P policy is 30 grand, roughly. 5 million costs 30 grand. But if he'd had 5 million, 5 million loss of value, it might have been 45, 50 grand. Okay. And like in Alabama, it's just paying for that. Correct. And that's, that's I don't even know. NCA allows that, and obviously. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because this. Distance fund money is really meant for college athlete who can't pay a computer for classes or can't pay his utilities one month or there's an you can't earn money as an athlete while you're in college. So, um, or somebody's grandfather dies and they can't afford to fly home. The family can't. That's what the student assistance fund money was really set up for. But, <laughs> but when they figured out this is a great recruiting tool and we might, I mean, think of the added. Jersey sales, you know, television revenue. If you have a star athlete who stays for a senior season, and so, you know, it's all about money. And one of the issues that's going to come up now leads into your cancellation insurance issues too. The NCAA gets ninety percent of it is from the March Madness contract, mm. and by canceling March Madness, the impact of that is not only be felt by the NCAA, but all the member schools that get student assistance and money distributed every from the NCAA. So there, a lot of trickle down everywhere. Is there insurance on March Madness? I read an article in the Indiana Indianapolis Business Journal yesterday that, that says they have event cancellation insurance. And I, I think I heard somebody earlier talk music industry and event cancellation. So January 24th was the first endorsement exclusion I've seen on a policy excluding uh, coronavirus. Um, the interesting thing, by the way, is if you look on your Lysol can or your Windex wipes, it'll say it cleans coronavirus. Coronavirus has been around for... It does say that. It does, yeah. It's very weird because you look at it, it says, oh, it cleans coronavirus. This is the novel coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, and right now, it's not even the biggest pandemic epidemic in terms of death toll that we've had in the last, uh, in this century. I mean, the H1N1 swine flu killed somewhere between 300 and 500,000 people. Um, but we didn't have this and, and, you know, shelter in place orders. Right. It wasn't a gathering issue. Correct. Um, so January 24th, some insurance companies started, uh, 
saying that a coronavirus is a pre-existing condition which was excluded. January 31st, pretty much universally, insurance companies wouldn't run a new policy with communicable disease coverage and had a coronavirus specific exclusion. So that's when it was the news was coming out of China and these events responded right away, huh? The same thing happened in uh, the SARS epidemic uh, in 2003, 2004. Insurance companies started seeing claims or hearing about the virus and within two, three, four weeks, issuing exclusions. There's a myriad of issues that arise from exclusions being issued after policies incepted. Um, but first and foremost, before 24th, I would say 75 to 80% event cancellation policies had a communicable disease exclusion in the policy. Exclusion. Exclusion. So it didn't name coronavirus or COVID-19, just an exclusion for communicable disease. And the definition of communicable disease was broad enough to include this virus. And just Um, again, to be clear for us, us Luddites in this area, that means no, no claim. You can make a claim, but they'll probably deny it, and they probably have a good basis to deny it. But some of those policies had what's called an exception to an exclusion. This is why people hate insurance (laughs) insurance law. (laughs) So basically, the burden of proof on an insurance claim is the policyholder has to establish that it's covered under the policy or potentially covered under the policy, and then the carrier has to prove that it's excluded and they have a much higher burden because uh, grants of coverage are, are construed broadly and strictly and narrowly construed against the insurance company. They wrote, the burden of proof is on the company. Correct. So if there's any ambiguity or ambiguous language in there, it's usually construed against the insurance company and in favor of the policyholder. So that's a, that's a big important issue. So you have the policy grant exclusion saying we're going to limit coverage in these days, and then sometimes the exclusion exception to the exclusion. For example, they'll say there's no there's no coverage for pollution except if it was sudden and accidental. So if if it falls within coverage is reinstated. A lot of these event cancellation policies had a communicable disease exclusion, but they had an exception that said this doesn't apply unless the World Health Organization or some you know, governmental entity declares it a pandemic. Yeah. So here that happened until March 11th. So if you have exclusion and then the exception to the exclusion and you event before March 11, it's probably covered even though there's communicable disease exclusion. The question is, if, if the, does it have to be the event that takes place before March 11 or cancellation before March 11? I would do because you wrote the exception and the exclusion and didn't identify it, you meaning the insurance company, I win. Anything that was canceled prior to March 11, even if it took place in June, July, August, would be covered under that exception to the exclusion. Do we have examples now already of, of claims being pursued, denied, based on these dates you're talking about? The first event... Uh, well, business interruption insurance claim was filed by a restaurant in, in New Orleans. Um, there has been no denials yet. Most of, so if you have an event cancellation policy, it covers gross revenues, sometimes revenues, 
extra expenses. So none of the policyholders yet know what those numbers are. So you can put your carrier on notice that a claim is coming, but you don't actually have a claim for them to analyze and or accept or deny yet because you don't know how much your loss is, right? And, and event canceling is sort of misnomer in terms of what's covered. Abandonment is covered, postponement is covered, curtailment is covered. If you have to move to a different venue because of some covered risk, those are all, it doesn't have to be cancellation of an event. Somebody was talking about the NHL and, and the leagues, you know, depending on how long it lasts, they may or may not actually be able to come back up. Baseball probably will. Football most definitely will. Um, but hockey and basketball may be too late, depending well, on if it lasts two more weeks or two months. Yeah, and let's talk about that. You know, first of all, do the, do the does the nomenclature matter from a legal perspective in terms of postponement slash suspension because the NBA has suspended operations. The NHL has suspended operations. The Olympics have postponed. Uh, no one has, as far as I know, maybe XFL has canceled. So with these different words, are, is there meaning behind these words from a legal perspective? Are lawyers saying, Hey, NBA say suspension. Don't say postponement or don't say, certainly don't say, Cancellation. So baseball canceled spring training. Canceled spring training. Yeah. But postponed the start of the season. It's not so much an insurance issue, I believe, Andrew, as it is if you cancel something, you owe a refund. So they don't want to have to refund season ticket holders by canceling see. anything because they don't know if they may be able to fit games in and, and minimize their loss that way. So it's not so much a um, – issue, I believe, because most of the policies cover all those events. Um, I wrote an article years ago for Appleman on insurance. It's the pretty much the Bible of insurance coverage. And it called words have meaning, the importance of grammar and syntax in insurance coverage claims. Right. Because a misplaced semicolon could mean the difference between cover on and no coverage. It's That's the gymnastic uh, linguistic gymnastics we, we, we engage in on a daily basis as insurance recovery lawyers. I'll give you a perfect example. A lot of policies provide for property damage coverage. Some policies define property damage as physical injury to tangible property. And then others have that definition, but they also say property damage also includes loss of use of uh, property that has not been physically damaged. So mm -hmm. wouldn't this constitute that? I've lost the use of my building. I can't, I can't have any events there. It's not actual property damage, it's not physical loss of tangible property, but it's loss of use of tangible property that hasn't been physically injured. So you get into exclusions for, so event cancer communicable disease exclusions. And before January 4th of this year, brokers were to offer the policyholder to buy that exclusion out of the policy and endorsement covering communicable disease. And the, the premium cost was like an extra 20% of the premium. So anonymous. I have a number of clients who bought the, that extra coverage and now the claims will most likely be covered. Mm. I have a bunch that, you know, turned down paying a $1,500 extra to get communicable coverage. We're looking at million dollars in losses. Wow. So, 
if we look at NBA or NHL, you know, you talked about baseball. Baseball's got a postponement right now. Uh, NBA and NHL, assuming they come back with some kind of a limited schedule. So they come back and games, pick a number, games 60 to 70 on the calendar, gone. Just didn't happen. So they'll look to insurance to cover those games. They'll look to insurance to cover whatever player costs they have for those games, the arena costs, et cetera, et cetera. I know you haven't seen any of these contracts, but where, where, where do you think, what do you think happens there? I think it's going to be one of the and uh, unique, unprecedented insurance battles we've ever seen. So you've got so many issues. Yeah. You've got the players sharing the profits of the league, major league baseball and football and hockey don't. So people believe every major league baseball contract is fully guaranteed, but it's not. You have to make the main roster. Well, the major league roster isn't made until at the end of spring training. So who owes what you've lost, how much ticket sales you've lost, merchandise sales, parking, concessions, paying all these are off. The Staples Center in Los Angeles is owned by a company named AEG and Shields Intergroup. They own Williams and but they also own the Kings, the Los Angeles Kings. So they're going to have so many issues. They've got concert issues, tour issues, conferences, like hockey games. Figuring out, I mean, just the logistics of trying to rejigger a a schedule that puts in enough time for basketball players to have a game off and travel time and everything. And then when are you going to have the playoffs? You're going to have them in July, August, and then you start with, you know, preseason basketball in August, September. I mean, it's, it's a night and it's going to be an even bigger nightmare for the, for major league ball. trying to condense 162 game season into less than, you know, the months they it's going to make it tough. And unlike sports, can't extend their season. I mean, right. you, can't have, you can't have the Dodgers playing the Yankees in a world of December. You could in LA, but you couldn't in New York. Um, so there's some really, you know, difficult issues and, and insurance is a, a big part of how they may be able to recoup some of their losses. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the issue. You know, there's going to be so many losses. Um, and I, I, the timing issue is just such a, you, you mentioned it, and, and it start, you, if we start thinking about timing, I mean, think about the Milwaukee Bucks having their greatest year ever. If they start the N- NBA season in whatever, June, and in July the Bucks would theoretically be in deep in the playoffs or in the NBA Finals, but guess what? Milwaukee has the Democratic National Convention. <laughs> so they're going to be using that building to pick a new uh, candidate for president. Uh, and the Bucks would be displaced somewhere, I assume. So, um, yeah, like, you know, this is just all theory, but I look to you like, well, who's covered? You know, how, how? I mean, in a situation like that, does the Democratic National Committee, like, have to move? Do the Bucks have to move? What's the insurance? Co- I mean, who gets covered in that? You know? So... Event cancellation insurance would be changing of venues. Doesn't work. Yeah. 
Um, so, for example, the, the Lakers, Clippers, and Kings all have an extended period of time in January every year because the Grammys are held in Los Angeles. So the, the, they have their Grammy Easter, East Coast swing. And so usually the, the one-time big event takes precedent over, you know, multiple games. Um, but that's something the leagues would have to work out with the DNC. Um, I mean, Milwaukee. So if you, if you ex- take it even further, imagine the contracts and contract extensions people would have earned had somebody been an NBA final MVP. But if they have to cancel the season, they don't have that shot at that. Sure. I mean, in Los Angeles, they have the big issue with Astros, you know, sign stealing issue. I mean, uh, could have been an MVP of the of the World Series, and his entire career and and legacy would have changed because of that. Here, you may have the same thing happening. I mean, LeBron James, if he had won a second or, or title, it is now in a in a third city. He may not even get the chance to do it, and he may be too old next season. I mean, yeah. this is going to have impacts on people's careers and, and legacy and contract, and that's not even mentioning the concessionaires who, you know, supplement their – because they, they work games. AEG announced that they were going to pay all of the employees that were hourly and seasonal, you know, regardless of what happens with and how long the, the you know, stay-in-place orders are. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to, since you brought that up, we've talked a lot about how, you know, that tipping point 12 days ago or two weeks ago, actually, when uh, when Rudy Gobert came down with the virus and sports basically stopped. Uh, and then we saw Mark Cuban say something, but really the tipping point to me was Kevin Love of the Cavaliers. I'll pay the workers, you know, whatever it was, a million dollars, half a million dollars. Um, and then everyone sort of jumped in. Um if Kevin Love or whoever Giannis or whoever's not paying the workers, and the and the the owners were, are they covered? I mean, is that is that coming from somewhere because of cancellation insurance? Possibly. I mean, this this, this is perfect for a law professor, which is whenever somebody asks a question, the answer is usually right <laughs> because no clear answer. So yeah. and. In insurance coverage, it depends on the policy language. Everything depends on how it's worded and how it's interpreted. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's so many aspects of the economic impact of all this to, that those won't even be understood or realized for a year or two down the road. But you have to, one thing I'm telling every one of my clients right now is document everything. Make sure you keep, you know, detailed records and make sure you put your insurance company even. I don't think average put them on notice of a possible claim because some policies have provisions that if you don't do it in a timely manner is, is you know, gone. So notifying your carrier, having an insurance recovery lawyer analyze your policy, because like I said, you know, placement of a semicolon can make the difference between or no coverage. And so uh, most brokers I know are telling everybody there's no coverage for this. That was my question. You know, now that now that we've we've hit it, you know, we're past January twenty fourth. Can anyone get coverage on 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 pandemics, or on communicable diseases, on anything like this anymore? You could probably buy communicable disease coverage, but they would issue a COVID nineteen exclude limitation. Yeah. So you might have a coverage if another virus happens, which is possible. Right. Um, I mean, insurance is all 
to protect you against fortuitous unforeseen events, right? So communicable disease is not, nothing ever, anybody ever about before, even though we've had, you know, at least five major pandemics or epidemics since the start of the 21st century. But, but this is the penny-wise, pound-foolish nature of the insurance world because think about that if someone came to you and said, for 1500 extra bucks, I could I can cover you for communicable disease, and you sure. what, are the, what are the chances? Why do I why do I want to blow the money? Well, yeah, fifteen hundred months ago, yes, I would have fifteen hundred bucks would have gotten you three point one million dollars worth of coverage for communicable wow. disease. Wow. But everybody worries about their out of pocket expenses today, yeah, yeah. not thinking about what might happen from now. So, you know, it's a it's a it's. It's been a very interesting time. I'm going to be on Fox News tomorrow night about the, all these issues as well. Good. I'll ask one more, and I'll let I'll let the group chime in with their questions too. Um, yeah, I mean, what is the issue keeping you up at night? I know we're all worried about our own personal situations and health and the crisis, but from an insurance lawyer cancellation and and recovery perspective what's what's primary on your agenda as you go forward well what's keep keeping me occupied fully right now is trying to tell people don't just take the word insurance broker or an insurance company that you don't have coverage as you might and it really does depend on how the policy is worded how the language is worded how it's placed in the policy even if you don't have event cancellation, you still might have coverage for business interruption claims. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even a communicable disclosure have an exception, or the, the exclusion might only apply pandemic has been declared. So before the pandemic was declared, you still might have coverage. You know, there's so many uh, right. sides to this argument and then these issues that the biggest thing is hire somebody who knows what the hell they're doing. <laughs> I mean, your broker gets premium, you know, comp commissions off of premiums, so they, they don't want to piss off insurance companies. So, and they also don't, the insurance companies don't want to see $17 billion worth of claims coming up. Right. So the insurance industry does well with hurricanes, 9-11, but the claims they're going to see with this are going to dwarf all of those combined. Um, but they won't be paying them, or will they? <laughs> I my prediction are going to deny ninety percent of the claims submitted, and then litigation. Correct. I know. I, it's 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 kind of sad to be home with this, you know, shelter in place orders in in Southern California, working full time beyond full time. <laughs> you know, it's it's nonstop. I bet yeah. you're busy at home. Yeah, yeah. it's very busy. I want to just get your thoughts on paying the players. Now, we only saw one league, the NBA, which in their contract mentions the word pandemic, or I believe epidemic, in terms of a force majeure, maybe not having to pay the players. Um, you know, this I would think this is going to be an issue, obviously. Players are going to want to get paid their whole salary, even if it's a shortened season. So where do you think the leagues are going to come down on this? I think the rich will get richer and the middle level players and the rookies may not be as, um, so 
the CBAs are going to control that. And then the, what we call UPCs, the uniform, uniform player contracts right. again. So it's all going to be land. Um, I don't, I'm not aware of shell or maybe baseball having any issues with epics in their contracts. But again, I think that's the difference between the profit sharing in the NBA and the non-profit sharing in the other leagues. Um, the owners are the ones that are going to get the hits and the other leagues basketball is going to have some hit with the players and the owners. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think if you're smart, you'd play your play, you'd pay your players contracts. You don't want your superstars being pissed off at you. Yeah. And, and, and we saw today the Philadelphia Sixers example where they were threatening at least to not pay their employees or, or go to 20%, uh, 80% pay. 20% uh, uh, slashing their pay and, and no Friday work week. Uh, but Joel Embiid kind of shamed him because he said he was going to donate money. And of course the Sixers are back paying full salaries. But I think that's going to be an issue going forward. Teams are going to want to take it out, as you said, on not the players because they're the symbols, but on the employees, especially the middle management in, this, in these situations. Well, middle management, the seasonal work, the part-time workers, the employees. Um, I, I like to try and stay in my lane because employment issues are going to be the other area where COVID-19 is going to explode yeah. with questions. Um, California has passed a couple regulations, specific COVID-19 employment laws about having to pay your you know, employees. If you work one day in a work week, one minute of a work week, you got to pay mm -hmm. them for the whole week. So, you know, there's going to be some huge employment law issues arising out of this as well. There will be lawyers. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's sad, but it is definitely no, going to be full, full employment act for lawyers because nobody is going to voluntarily give up money, whether it's the leagues, whether it's the teams, whether it's insurance companies, everybody's going to try and minimize their losses. And the people who've suffered the most are going to be struggling to recoup theirs. Really hope you enjoyed that interview with Richard. I tried to get to every issue going on. It's going to be complicated. The lawsuits are going to be massive if and when this COVID-19 crisis subsides. And you know my saying, it is more true than ever. There will be lawyers relating to this issue. Now, word from our sponsor, Bet Online. Obviously, there's no NBA. There's no NHL. There's no Major League Baseball. You might think there's nothing to bet on, but there is... BetOnline still has hundreds of sports events to bet on, including their $750,000 poker series. And if you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, even the weather. So visit the website, use your mobile, join today, receive a 100% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Don't forget the promo code PODCAST1. Now we're talking about 100%. Sign up bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. That'll do it now for this week's edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. What a time it is. That music you hear in and out is from Sam Brandt, who's living with me now with his girlfriend, with her two cats, in this new normal that we have. He got out of Brooklyn. He's here now. Really appreciate those of you who follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. Apple Podcast rankings and comments are always appreciated. Thanks to my producer extraordinaire, Brian Neal. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.